This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing Leg Day. And if you go to audibletrial.com cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice, access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link, audibletrial.com cultivate. That's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight, to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you, Audible, for supporting the show. Oh my god, John, were you up on Wikipedia all night? John, are you okay? You're you're shaking. You guys, you will not believe what I just read on Wiki. Welcome to Reddit on Wiki, the poorly researched, semi-funny podcast on random stuff we find on the internet. Who, who are you talking to? And why are you shaking so much? Subscribe to Reddit on Wiki on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Sean, I'm scared. Me too, buddy. Me too. Hi, my name is Josh Shell, host of the Let's Start a Call podcast. The only podcast that live streams to the police officer that has wiretapped my setup. Say hi to Officer Dave, everyone. What's up, Dave? Hi, Dave. Now, with that out of the way, let me introduce to you my two guests this episode. One is the host of A Couple Bots podcast, an interview style podcast that focuses on esports and people within the industry. Please welcome back Greg Doran. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for uh, doing the ad read for me so I didn't have to uh, yeah, you know, you, come up with my own on the spot again. You struggled a little bit last time. I thought I'd help you out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate, you know, you having me back as obviously the first round all star of the program. That's why I mentioned you first. Because my second guest, second round also, <laughs> is the unofficial co-host of this podcast and known to be bad at mixing Kool-Aid, Sam Wood. How are you doing, Sam? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys doing today? Not too bad. No, you know. I already answered that question. Yeah, you did. You did. You don't have to answer again. I just want to shout out the fact that Greg and I are both the uh, only two reoccurring guests. Yes, out of, of a podcast so far. Four episode series. Oh, well, we don't. We don't need to. <laughs> we don't need to specify. But just know. How, how have your lives changed being on this podcast? I don't even want to get into it. I mean, <laughs> the opportunities it's been bringing me. It's why I haven't been back since that episode. So. That's true. You've blown up. You had a crack addiction there for a little bit. <laughs> Wild downfall. And then, you know, the, the recovery was, was amazing. Amazing. <laughs> amazing. Now, Sam, last time I had you on, we talked about uh, Jim Jones and the People's Temple. Oh, yeah. That terrible cult was directly responsible for murdering nearly a thousand people. And I promised you at the end of that episode, I would have you on for a less terrible cult. And I have done so. Are you excited? Yeah, less terrible meaning less deaths. Well, on today's episode, <laughs> we'll be focusing on the infamous Heaven's Gate, the cult that remains obscured in mystery despite decades of in-depth research and study. A friendship between a music teacher and a registered nurse gave birth to a religion that was based on aliens and the Bible's book of Revelation before tragically ending in the deaths of 39 people. So you... You know, 39, not 900. Oh, this this is interesting. I, I think I've actually um, 
I think I've heard a little bit about this one. We'll see, though, if it's the one I'm thinking of. So far, this is my most requested cult. So you have heard about it. Greg, have you heard about the Heaven's Gate cult before? TBD. TBD. Give me some more, give me some more, give me some more knowledge here. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll hold off on um, whether Greg knows about it until after I've told him about it. <laughs> so to start it off, on May 17th, 1931, Marshall Herf Applewhite Jr. was born in Spur, Texas, to Marshall Sr. and Louise Applewhite. The son of a Presbyterian minister, the young Marshall, or Herf, as everyone else called him, grew up in a very religious household, and by his teenage years, he was ready to follow in his father's footsteps, perceiving himself to be one out of his three siblings who would carry on God's torch. But his family and friends believed otherwise. He was an intelligent overachiever with a deep, powerful voice, which led many to expect that he would become a wonderful singer someday. Herf was also very charismatic, even from a young age. He was capable of charming everyone and lighting up the entire room the minute he walked in. So we're seeing connections to Jim. Yeah. A lot of other cults that I've talked about so far. According to his sister, Louise Winnett, Winnant, we're going to go with that, <laughs> quote, he was usually president of everything. He was always a born leader and very charismatic. He could get people to believe anything. He was quite the family comic at times. And he knew how to do something called an elephant walk that would always get a laugh from everyone. And the only elephant walk I found when I Googled it was a uh, not safe for work frat initiation. And I, <laughs> I recommend no one looks that up, please. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Sam. Sam's laughing pretty hard. Uh, I, I'm imagining. I, I, have a, I have a guess as to what it involves. but uh, I won't even ask you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so after graduating from the Corpus Christi High School, known as the Roy Miller High School, Herf went on to study at Austin College, becoming active in several student organizations and enjoying a buzzing social life. Shortly after earning his bachelor degree in philosophy in 1952, he enrolled himself at the Union Presbyterian Seminar to study theology, adamant that his childhood dream of becoming a Presbyterian minister just like his father would come true. Hey, don't, don't let anyone tell you you can't do anything with an arts degree. <laughs> philosophy baby he took it all the way <laughs> oh so you're seeing some connections to yourself then sam wow maybe the buzzing social life you did have a buzzing social life you could call my social life buzzing <laughs> how's it doing now it's definitely not buzzing <laughs> <laughs> i don't think anyone's is it was around this time that herf met a woman named ann pierce and the two were married in 1952 so they actually like they met and then almost within a year they were married and yeah, I appreciate the efficiency. So his name is Herf. That's what everyone calls him. His his uh, real name is actually Marshall, which is named after his dad. Okay. And his sister actually is named Louise, which is named after his mom. So they just seen the connect like Jim Jones is the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was also going to ask, are we ever going to revisit this beautiful singing voice of his? Cause we kind of glossed oh, over that. Well, actually in, in the future. Yeah, we will. Okay. I don't know how many pages from here, but ah, well, uh, <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I just want to make sure we didn't lose, lose sight of that. No, no, no. We, we will come back to that for sure. So at this point, the couple had a two children, Mark and Lane and Herf was living the picture perfect life. The American dream. In fact, he had a loving wife, two kids, and was on his way to becoming a Presbyterian minister. By the mid-1950s, he was on his way to achieving the simple, quiet, and comfortable life that many at the time longed for. But of course, Herf's American dream never materialized, as most <laughs> don't. <laughs> his seminary studies left him feeling far from fulfilled. The rosy image of religious life that had, he had carried with him well throughout his childhood and adolescent years soon evaporated, and he found himself leaving the Union Presbyterian Seminary. 
Sorry. Kind of screwed up naming his kids. Not naming them after himself? Yeah. yeah. How, how are they going to be juniors, the thirds, the fourth? <laughs> <laughs> I agree 100%. It seems to be that the, the second is always the issue. Yeah, well, this is going to be like, this is the 50s, right? So they're probably only a generation or two past that. They're at most at third right now. True, yeah. Not great. Mike the third could have been Marshall the fifth, sixth. <laughs> that would have been way better. Correct. I wonder what his nickname would have been. Would have made, you could have made up no a sense. Yeah, it would have made no sense because this guy's nickname is Herf. The yeah. second, you can nickname him Junior. After that, you can nickname them really whatever you want. Junior, Junior. Junior, Senior. Senior, Junior. The, they call him Herf the second. <laughs> <laughs> With his hopes of following his, in his father's footsteps dashed, Herf instead decided to merge together his two passions in life, music and religion. He became the music director at the First Presbyterian Church in Gastonia, North Carolina, and his powerful voice made him the perfect baritone, capable of belting out spiritual music and spectacular works of Handel without much effort. He is getting to the music game, Sam. Greg, you're a bit of a baritone, right? I have no idea. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I think so. I think so. With that low tone coming in? Can't say I've sang in a choir, but... <laughs> so he quickly became popular among the congregants, most of whom remembered him fondly. Quote, he had a beautiful voice. He was a very personal little person. He was a strong leader, said Edith Warren, the pianist for the children's choir, which Herf had also led. But once again, his life took a sharp turn. In 1954, Herf was drafted by the United States Army, forced to serve as a member of the Army Signal Corps in Austria and New Mexico, two very different places. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why he was in Austria. You guys know what was going on in Austria in 1954? I don't, I don't know much about uh, the American military mid, mid fifties. I, I just don't understand what Austria was doing. They just acting up and oh, they about to act up. They about man. to act up. Austria was about to act up. I don't know. Sam's the history major, but when was the Vietnam War? Oh, that wasn't until the seventies, right? Dude, it could be. Talk, talk, to Sam, talk to Sam about that one. I don't know. Maybe it was just clean up after the world war. I don't know. Clean up, like just picking up garbage. Yeah, just, you know, you raking. <laughs> put, putting those cathedrals back together. Repainting walls that had been mistreated during the war. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's what I'm going to go with. Military life wasn't for him, though, and he left a mere two years later. Back in the United States, Herf decided to pursue a, mu- a career in music and enrolled at University of Colorado for a master's degree in the subject, picking musical theater as his main focus. Upon finishing, he moved to New York in the hopes of becoming an actor and a professional singer. But like most, he failed. So he's uh, struggling in the music industry. Sam. I mean, he probably should have went to L.A., right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like New York, New York is probably pretty booming. It was then, probably right? popping back music? then. I don't know. Yeah. I guess if he's going Broadway. Yeah, big he's, band, if he's going Broadway. movies, then maybe L.A. I feel with his, you know, his deep voice, he probably could have made it on. Yeah, having a cool voice, I don't know. Well, he obviously ends up making it. Uh, yeah, I'm guessing we wouldn't be talking about him if I'm, I'm assuming he makes it as a singer. You know, this is a this is an upbeat story about how a man followed his dreams to become a singer. It's not, but <laughs> that'd be a way better story. <laughs> <laughs> Undeterred, he began teaching at the University of Alabama, serving as a choir master for several student music groups. However, he was fired after it came to light that he was having an inappropriate sexual relation with a male undergraduate. Oh, shit. In 1965, Herf decided to move back to his home state of Texas, heading up the music department at the University of St. Thomas. He thrived in the local community, who deeply appreciated his talents. He served as the choral director of a 
Epicost <laughs> at a church. <laughs> Epicostal? Epicostal? When do you think back checks started? Back checks? Yeah, like, like for like teachers? Criminal record checks or like, oh, maybe let's look into this story yeah. and not hire him for the exact <laughs> same job he just got fired for. Yeah, that's yeah, a great question. That's a great question. Because back then, you know, you probably just leave something off, right? And you're just like, yeah, no, I, I worked there. Yeah. yeah I, I quit because it was just, you know, too far away from... What, home. what are you going to do? Call them? Yeah. You give, like, oh. you give them your buddy's number to be your reference, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he has two masters, right? Because didn't he get a master's in theology and then he got another master's in music of some sort? Yeah, he's killing it right now. Very educated man. And uh, all he does is lead choirs, right? Like he's had <laughs> like six different jobs, all leading choirs in different places. And the military. He was in the military, all right? Oh, so I forgot about Austria. <laughs> he has a strong voice, dude. I don't know if you ever heard a strong voice. Strong but, and deep. But I can take you far. Oh, dude. <laughs> I believe you. At the university, he was also well-liked by his students, most who found him to be an engaging and compelling speaker with a rich voice and a good diction. But trouble was brewing at home. In 1965, Herf's wife, Anne, learned about his previous affair with the male student at the University of Alabama. Three years later, the couple divorced and Herf was left struggling with his sexuality. His religious background combined with the time period made the struggle even harder. I kind of feel bad for him at this point because... His society and his religions are forcing him to like, suppress who he is and, and hide part of himself, which further calls, causes him to isolate, which is never a good sign for anyone, really. He has, he has good diction, though. Like that's, That just means he uses like <laughs> good, dick, good, good, yeah. pa- good pauses and <laughs> commas in his speaking, right? Yes. Pretty cool. <laughs> America in the 1960s was making its first steps towards becoming less homophobic. The decade was marked by the first gay rights demonstration in the United States in 1964. Members of the community started protesting in New York City after the confidentiality of gay men's draft records was violated. The following year, protests for LGBTQ rights became even more widespread, with demonstrations in Washington, D.C. and sit-ins in Pennsylvania. But Herf lived in conservative Texas, where gay rights at the time were nothing more than a pipe dream. Unable to come to terms with the fact that he might be either gay or bisexual, Herf found himself suffering both mentally and emotionally. He resigned from his job in 1970, with the university's president later recalling that he seemed severely disorganized and out of it during the final few months of his employment. The worst was yet to come, though. In 1971, Herf moved to New Mexico, but returned to Texas only a few months later. Around this time, his father, the man whom he idolized for most of his life, passed away which sent him spiraling even more. He was depressed and unable to function. His debt mounted by the day, and he was forced to borrow money from his friends, which left him feeling incompetent and inadequate. It was at this moment in time that Herf would meet Bonnie Nettles, the woman who would help make him infamous in the United States and beyond. Bonnie Nettles? Cool name. (laughs) It is a cool name. name. Not her original last name, but... I don't think that's the strongest name yet, though. Herf's definitely a strong name. And what's his full name, too? Marshall Herf Applewhite Jr. Uh, Applewhite. Mm. Applewhite's kind of a cool last name. No, that seems like the guy in high school had his last name tattooed across his back. <laughs> that is oddly specific. Yeah, no, I kind of I agree, though. <laughs> Do you guys want to hear about Bonnie Nettles? <laughs> no, let's yeah. just end it right now. <laughs> I, I think we can wrap this up. Um, but let's just recap for a second. So your boy Herf, he's... He's down on his luck. His dad's dead. He's in debt. His wife left him. Yep. Wait, why is he in debt? I think during the spiral, he was borrowing a lot of money from friends and he wasn't working. So, and he's struggling with his sexuality and that too. Yeah. That is the main 
thing, I think, uh, to be honest. But he's where most cult leaders start at the bottom. Drake. Did we call it Drake last time you were on too, Greg? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying not, to get I'm him to tweet us. <laughs> 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 All right. Bonnie Nettles was born in Houston, Texas on August 29th, 1927. She grew up in a Baptist family, but distanced herself from the religion upon reaching adulthood. She became a registered nurse sometime in the 1940s and married a businessman named Joseph Siegel Nettles in December 1949. The two decades saw the couple living a happy and idyllic life together with their four children. In 1972, though, their marriage began to deteriorate after Bonnie started exhibiting some questionable behaviors. You got any more on the Siegel man? Because that's a pretty strong name. Joseph Siegel Nettles? Yeah, yeah that is a that strong, is really strong name. name yeah. uh, sadly, I do not. He doesn't really play into the story after this point, basically being just changing her last name and then divorcing. But we don't know what the last name was before. So. <laughs> yeah, we don't know what her last name was before. <laughs> Huge that insights. doesn't matter. She was a no one before yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so she was exhibiting questionable behaviors, and one of the things was that she believed herself to be communicating with Brother Francis, a 19th century monk whom she claimed frequently gave her instructions. And I think this is kind of weird that I don't know if she believed it or if it was what was happening. Cause it's oddly specific to be like this brother Francis, a monk in the 19th century. It's like, who is this guy? I don't know who this is. It, yeah. I was going to say is brother Francis, like a real historical figure. Not that I know of. And like, why not just shoot for the moon and say, Jesus is talking to you. Like go big. Right. Oh, oh believable. Because maybe because it's real. Well, that's what I, th- I think she believes it because it is so weird and specific. You know what I mean? But does she believe it or was it real? Well, it could be, you know, <laughs> schizophrenia or something like yeah, that. Yeah. She also began conducting weekly seances around this time, working with mediums in a bid to connect with those in the afterlife. These were all combined with her intense studies of astrology, theosophy, and the occult, all of which unnerved her family and friends. They all knew her as a registered nurse with a deep, respect for science and medicine. So her foyer into those fields was deeply unsettling. Bonnie also started frequenting fortune tellers. And during one session, she was told that she would meet a tall, mysterious man who had light hair and fair complexion. This struck a chord in her and she remained on the lookout for such an individual. She didn't have to wait long. In March, 1972, the man that she had been promised walked into her life. Guess who that is? Seagull. (laughs) His name is Joseph. <laughs> James Jones. It was James Jones. <laughs> We're taking a turn here. <laughs> no, it uh, it was obviously Herf. The big, the big Herf. The big the Herf. The big Herf, man. I didn't know he was tall, too. Did you know he has a great voice for radio? I knew he had a great voice specifically for podcasting. The exact circumstances of how Herf and Bonnie met are unknown. According to Herf himself, they had encountered each other in the hospital where Bonnie was working as a nurse. Later, he would write, quote, I was visiting a hospitalized friend when Miss Nettles entered the room and our eyes locked in a shared recognition of esoteric secrets. So how is that unknown? Well, because her sister, Louise Winant, told a much different story. She said, quote, he was living in Houston at the time and he had some trouble with his heart and ended up in the hospital. According to the nurses, he had a near death experience. One of the nurses convinced him that it was for a very special reason and that he could be used mightily in a group she knew about, unquote. In this story, it sounds like Nurse Nettles took advantage of him in this low state of his life, heart issues, and then gave him some some sort of hope. How kind of her. Yes. He he needed something to believe in. (laughs) 
Regardless of how they were introduced, Herf and Bonnie soon began to platonically see each other. Their meetings were filled with nothing but in-depth discussion on theosophy and biblical prophecies. So theosophy is a religion established in the U.S. and focuses on the idea that there is an ancient secret brotherhood of spiritual adepts known as masters, uh, which I, you know, I might do an episode on that someday because it is very cultish. So just giving you a little heads up into what that is. Soon their talks gave way to two hour long studies into the King James Bible, the life of St. Francis of Assisi, and strangely enough, the works of science fiction authors Robert A. Hyleen and Arthur C. Clarke. So they're studying the Bible and science fiction. I like it. Did you sci- study any science fiction in your English? I, I've definitely watched some science fiction. Nice. Taking that degree. So <laughs> you call it studying. Count it. We'll count it. Yeah. Bonnie confided in her f- that their relationship had been foretold to her by aliens, that he had been granted a divine assignment. By then, Herf had been nursing an interest in, the, in alternatives to traditional Christianity that he had known for his entire life. Here we go. I was waiting for, I was waiting for aliens to, to be uh, oh, yeah. put in the mix. I, think, <laughs> I actually think more religions need some aliens. I agree. Let's go Scientology. Oh, oh shit. No, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I take it back. Because of this, he didn't find it difficult to believe what Bonnie was saying, that he alone had been chosen by the divine for a special mission on Earth. This was exacerbated further by the visions that he soon began having. In one of them, he claimed that he was told that he would play a similar role to that of Jesus Christ as the one and only savior of the world and its people. He also began believing that he and Bonnie were to be the witnesses mentioned in the Bible's book of Revelations. Imagine just sitting around and being like, nah, but you, (laughs) you're the savior. And you're like, oh shit, me? Maybe it's just really passionate flirting. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> they must have been banging, right? Like, there's... Well, it gets into their relationship a little bit later, but I would believe he wouldn't be into that, her that way. Oh, okay. Uh, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, true. I believe true, he, true. He, he is gay and that he, I don't think he pursued any more women after this. So it's just a meeting of the minds, intellectual. Yeah. And, and like I said, in a little bit here, we'll get into it. It, it does talk a little bit about their uh, sexual life. Okay. Or lack thereof. (laughs) Sam loves that. Well, I'm here, man. Yeah. Please keep your pants on. (laughs) (laughs) So going into more about what the two witnesses are, in the book of Revelation, John relays how a vision brought to him an image of the two witnesses, whom he claimed would be blessed with the authority to prophesize, even with the holy city of Jerusalem burning around them, as it was trampled by the nations for 42 months. He said further, they would have an immense power capable of bringing their enemies to their knees and with control over the earth's elements. However, he claimed, the two witnesses would be killed by the beast, with their deaths celebrated by the entire world. But in the midst of this revelry, they would be resurrected by God and allowed to ascend to heaven. Moments after their ascension, an earthquake would strike the world, killing over 7,000 people. So this is what Herf believes him and Bonnie are. He believes they're the two witnesses. I'm a little confused at how they got there, but all right. Well, you know, if you're having two-hour conversations about science fiction, religion, every day, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> the legitimacy of Herf's vision is undoubtedly questionable. In 2005, Susan Rain, in her research entitled Reconceptualizing the Human Body, Heaven's Gate and the Quest for the Divine Transformation, posited that he was actually going through a schizophrenic episode at this time. Of course, this has been neither proven nor debunked, but 
I mean, they might have both had some sort of mental issue that was, yeah, they were hallucinating these kind of things. That's what I would hypothesize from from what we've heard so far <laughs> with, as with, well. With your arts degree, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fine. It's higher up as than my someone degree. That's, that's heard countless pointless conversations in your own mind. In my degree, oh, <laughs> um, I I can attest. Yeah, yeah. Getting into their a bit of more about their uh, relationship. They were united by their shared interest in the intersection of the Bible and extraterrestrials. Herf and Bonnie grew closer as the weeks passed. It wasn't long before they started living together, although both claiming that their relationship remained platonic. In fact, Herf even termed it as a, quote, sexless union, unquote, a living arrangement that they would have until Bonnie's death in 1985. For some unknown reason, they would frequently change their names, first to Bo and Peep, then later to T and Doe. Dude, Bowen and Peep Bo is and sick. Is yeah. sick. <laughs> but also just changing your names all the time is the most suspicious thing yeah. you can possibly do. So you got to respect that. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's just like a pet thing. Like, I don't know. You call your girlfriend a nickname, but. Oh, they didn't officially change it? I don't think so. No. Wow. It was just it's like. Cool, yeah, then. it's not as cool. I was going to say like so suspicious just changing your name every <laughs> couple of years. But so cool. Just every two years. Go by Bo. Bo. Bo and Peep is still sick, though. Just like Who do you think was who? Because Bonnie makes sense for Bo. Oh, yeah, true. Because I, I honestly would assume that he was Bo, but maybe that's sexist of me. That is sexist of you. It's just not logical. <laughs> well, Herf to Peep makes tons of sense. Yeah. Makes, that makes the most sense. Yeah. But, I mean, if you go with, maybe you started calling her Bo, and then she was like, oh, you can be my Peep. I don't know. We're speculating at this point. <laughs> All right. Sexless union... Sam, you love the, that kind of situation, you know? <laughs> I love I love it so much. Just living with people. Living with people that I'm not having sex with. It's the yeah. uh, dream. It's the dream. That's living the American the dream. dream. <laughs> By June 1972, both Herf and Bonnie stood firm in their beliefs that they had been entrusted with the mission to preach to the entire world. First, they opened a small bookstore that they called the Christian Arts Center, which carried publications that focused on spiritual experience. They also created the No Place, spelled K-N-O-W, <laughs> a series of classes geared towards mysticism and theosophy. However, they closed both ventures shortly after, convinced that their spiritual mission demanded more active pursuit. And I can't imagine any of those would make a lot of money, so I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That was a pretty strong name for a small bookstore, though. I guess that's true, but... Imagine walking into that loony bin, though. <laughs> Like you go into a small bookstore and it's just clearly two crazies. Like, well, what's, hey. it, what's it called too? What was the title again? So the, the bookstore was called Christian Arts Center. Easily like a rec center size, no? Yeah. In your head? Yeah, like yeah. If, you, if you didn't know. It's like a giant, yeah, yeah, rec center basically. Yeah, exactly. I bet you they wrote a bunch of the books. I, You know what? It doesn't say, but the, I wouldn't put it past them. I, I'm just going to start making up like Facts. stuff and just, just dropping it in these episodes. Like it's been like two years, one year since they met, they've been having these long conversations. Did you think they have time to hours. write? They books? live together. Yeah. And they don't have jobs. It seems like <laughs> they, these are their jobs. <laughs> in 1973, they began going from city to city, visiting churches to preach their views and their messages, but they were poorly received by local communities. Most of whom deemed them to be insane and delusional. Probably because they were. <laughs> but Herf and Bonnie remained undeterred, steadfast in their belief that they were responsible for carrying out the wishes of the divine. 
For them, the prosecution they received at the places they they visited served only to reinforce their perception of themselves as the two witnesses, preaching yet reviled by those they preached to. Can I just go around to churches? Yeah. People will just show up? I Well, I don't know anymore, but you can try. But can I just show up at churches around the world and just be like, hey, listen to a couple of months podcasts. <laughs> I was going to say, imagine doing a church tour, but no one wants you nor invited you to any of the churches. Just show up on Sunday morning. Hey, I'm going to say a few words. It's like, hey, we, we, got, we got a few things to say. Oh, sure. All are welcome here. Yeah. I believe in Satan. Oh, God. <laughs> Big alien vibe. <laughs> Big alien vibe. The pair also believed that their higher calling exempted them from earthly laws or the laws of the United States. In 1974, they were arrested for credit card fraud, but the charges were eventually dropped. Herf, yeah, because they were allowed to do it. <laughs> yeah, they were allowed to. That's awesome. However, Herf had also had another charge to take responsibility for. He had failed to return a car that he had rented in a crime that he was sentenced to six months in jail term. Not St. Louis. <laughs> Commonly known French sister Saint of St. Louis. St. Louis. St. Louis. St. Louis. Saint Louis. Uh, Saint Louis, Missouri. <laughs> Thank you. A crime that he had, he was sentenced to six months in jail for, despite his argument that he had been divinely authorized to keep the car because God wanted him to have it. <laughs> Dude, that's actually awesome. Just like doing petty crimes. <laughs> No, 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 no. I don't have to pay that credit card off. <laughs> I was told by God. God said that I, could I do don't it. have to pay that credit Those card. Those chicken off. nuggets? God told me that. <laughs> I need them, so I'm, I'm not going to pay you. Sorry. Despite his isolation from Bonnie, Herf's belief never wavered. In fact, he used his time in prison to refine them even more. According to him, he and Bonnie came from the physical version of heaven found in the galaxy, a place that they referred to as the level above human. Because of this, they were tasked with leading humans to this next level by helping them eschew their earthly needs and desires. Upon the fulfillment of this mission, the demonstration would happen in which they would all be transported by a UFO back to their home where they truly belonged. Yeah, this this is the one that I've heard <laughs> that I've heard of before. And I'm not gonna get into what I've heard because I feel like you're gonna you're gonna get to it. But yeah, the level above big, big time. Does it involve Nikes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, well, that's that's part of it. But <laughs> have you heard about it yet, Greg? Uh, so far, so far, what I've heard is what I know. <laughs> I've heard lots. I actually, I know quite a bit. Yeah, actually, you ever heard of a now. seagull? Seagull, <laughs> big part of this story. <laughs> Joseph Seagull. I hope he comes back. I've written it, so I know he doesn't. <laughs> After his release, and armed with his origin story, Herf and Bonnie returned to Texas to cut all ties with their family. I don't know why, but it's just like we don't want to talk to you. I don't know why I had to go tell them. There goes the seagull. <laughs> they're, they're not from outer space. According to his sister, quote, he came to see us in Dallas where we were living at the time to tell us that he was going off with his group and we would not hear from him again. And we, of course, tried to talk him out of it. I told him that this wasn't him, but he said, you don't know the real me, unquote. I guess they tried to talk him out of it, kind of. Didn't sound like they tried too hard. Please, no. Please, don't go. Don't no. Go. You don't know the real me. <laughs> Sorry, that probably wasn't deep enough. I deserve free cars. Don't know the real me. I don't know. Was that deeper or just terrible? <laughs> that, was, that was deep. The diction wasn't good enough, though. Uh, yeah, you're right. I could never nail his diction. <laughs> but the pair were haunted by their previous failures, and so they sought to prove their belief and their message by seeking contact with aliens, the ones they believed were the source of their divine mission. So they're off to find some aliens. 
Do you think they'll find them? Hell yeah. No. Uh, well, depends what you mean by find them. Find them in their hearts. Because they might say they found them. <laughs> but I feel like we're getting close enough to technology era where it would get leaked on Twitter. Yeah, well, I don't know if Twitter's ever around in the story. Yeah, but they'd take pictures and then yeah. in the future it'd be spread. I see what you mean. Cameras and stuff. It's like the seventies. Imagine someone contacts aliens like, "Hey, uh, no Herf's here, dude." (laughs) Oh, my boy Herf. Herf had a right, man. He's been chilling. We're coming to get you in a few years. You know, (laughs) take you back to the the level up place. And we really did tell him to keep that car. So yeah, yeah. Herf represents the people (laughs) and the aliens. He's he's a unifying figure. Yeah, he's got the voice for it. That's true. He has the best voice for it. Once again, Herf and Bonnie hit the road traveling through the Southwest and Western United States, where they preached to the local communities. They had managed to hone their message and their beliefs and the role that they each played, which meant that the people were finally paying attention to them. Bonnie was the mystique and the diviner, while Herf was the charismatic speaker, and together they were unstoppable. So they were exactly what you said, Greg. He's the, he's the mouth. She's the mystique, the... Uh, Operations the Bonnie, manager. The Bonnie to his Clyde. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> the the boat to his peep. And she is Bonnie. So it's too bad that his name wasn't Clyde. It probably was at one point. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll add that to a list of his nicknames. Just dub it over after. Yeah, I'll just add it in. His nicknames were Bo, Peep, Clyde. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. They moved out of the churches and started holding informational sessions where they outlined all of the things that they believed in. Their role as the two witnesses, the impending demonstration, and the heaven found in outer space. So they're now out of the churches, Greg, because I don't think anyone wants people in churches spouting off stuff. I hope they get rich. They do. I'll spoil it for you a little bit. They do get rich. Good. (laughs) They do? Oh, yeah. Okay. How do you think they bought the Nikes, Sam? (laughs) Surprisingly enough, people started listening to what they had to say. Before long, Herf and Bonnie found themselves with a loyal following, as well as an increasing interest in their work. In 1975, the pair started distributing flyers in Oregon, which contained a mix of conspiracy theories, science fiction, religion, and prophetization. The word UFO was emblazoned across the top, but underneath it lay a disclaimer, quote, not a discussion of UFO sightings or phenomena, unquote. So they, they were like... Hey, we don't want any crazy talk here. <laughs> we don't want any, we don't want any of you crazies in here who think they saw aliens. Yeah, only we see the aliens. We know you haven't seen them because if anyone's seen them, it would be us. <laughs> uh, they want my deep voice, not yours. <laughs> so the flyers went on to explain their core beliefs, starting with, quote, two individuals say they were sent from the level above human and will return to that level in a spaceship, in brackets UFO, within the next few months, unquote. They're handing out these flyers. They're getting people interested in UFOs. And it's like that like mid-70s where UFOs are hip. They're in. Who does their graphic design? Probably some intern. I was going to say Bonnie. Cause <laughs> that'd be sad. Like, that's a big role. Yeah, I, I, I don't know who did the flyers, but uh, they, they kind of worked. I can't believe just going to random churches didn't work. Though. <laughs> Dude, Greg, I'm, I'm pretty sure the graphic design gets even more important. So you just, you just wait and see. If... Shell doesn't get to it. Will you just recap it at the end? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Don't worry. If I miss anything, Sam, you just let me know. Yeah, yeah. I know about two things about this cult that haven't haven't been said yet. You guys want to hear at the end about what happens to Seagull at the end? (laughs) I would love to hear what happens to Seagull. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Okay. stay stay tuned for that. Big teaser. (laughs) By this time, Herf and Bonnie had started calling their movement the 
Human Individual Metamorphosis, or HIM for short, and Total Overcomers Anonymous, which they didn't have an acronym for because TOA doesn't sound as great, I guess. These names were based on their belief in the demonstration when a UFO would come and transport them all to a utopia that they referred to as TILA, which was short for the evolutionary level above humans. So a lot of <laughs> acronyms. They love acronyms. Yeah, that's hip. That's hip. That's sleek. I hate acronyms. I like it. <laughs> but they do make you feel like you're part of something if you know yeah. what they are. So. And, yeah. and that's a big thing that a lot of cults do is they become, they get this language. Like yeah, this, they're too technical for normal people. So you yeah. feel like you're special because you know what. Greg knows what's up. He's been to some internet they cults. Make, they make you feel smart. Greg's like, trust me, dude. They get me all the time with that acronym bullshit. I hate I it. love Reddit. <laughs> Can I join a cult? Would you fund that? Would I fund you yeah, joining get the, a cult? Get the listeners to fund me joining a cult. Yeah, no. Send in your favorite cults that you think Greg should join. There's got to be an up and coming one. Okay. I want to be ground level. I you, got an idea for one. Do you think just, QAnon's up and coming enough? Or that too, I don't know, just too mainstream yet? See what the listeners have to say, but I, I'll try it. Okay, if anyone wants to submit what cult we're sending to Greg, Greg too? We're sending Greg too. <laughs> no, send the cult to send me. Send the no, cult no, to Greg. Sending Greg to the cult. <laughs> Hundreds of people just show up at my house. <laughs> Wait, why do we need to fund this? Oh, we got to get him there. Because I'm going to get deep. Like I, I'm going to buy stuff to be in a cult. It okay. can't work. I'm not paying out of pocket. You just drop hundreds of dollars into a cult. I see. Well, if you get in ground level, then you get people to pay you. Right. But there's still an investment unless right, I'm starting right. it on my own. So we're investing in you. Are we getting the money back? No. We'll see. I mean, if I get, yeah, like if I just get out of this cult super wealthy, yeah, I'd try and become a philanthropist, I guess. Okay. Okay. You'd come back on the podcast? Yeah. I'd update regularly. Oh. That'd be a cool Oh, segment. he's <laughs> undercover. That'd be sick. <laughs> I misunderstood what you were trying to do. I thought you just wanted to join a cult. And I thought, no, no, I'm undercover. I'm I misunderstood undercover. that we, you were coming back to tell us I just us need the it. cash flow. Yeah, I see, I see. Okay. I think he's scamming, but... <laughs> but that is a cult. Well, let's continue. <laughs> so these marketing campaigns, for lack of a better word, entice a lot of individuals and the membership in the organization skyrocketed. Hundreds of people began attending the sessions that Herf and Bonnie put on. Entranced by the former charismatic words and the latter's mystical aura, whatever that means. In 1975, the existing members of HIM sold all their material possessions, bade their families goodbye, and they all gathered at a hotel in Oregon and vanished. An alarming event that made national headlines the exact same night. Are you getting a little bit of a Jonestown vibe here, Sam? Yeah, they disappeared. Yep, they took off. This is kind of where things go um, awry, to put it in the nicest terms, I guess. Off a cliff is how I would describe it, but in reality, Herf and Bonnie had only become uncomfortable at the growing public scrutiny surrounding their growing organization and their efforts. Because of this, they led their followers to a nomadic existence, traveling from state to state and making a living panhandling. They slept in tents, if there were any, and relied on the goodwill of the public. Even with these hardships, though, their organization ranks continued to swell. Herf and Bonnie led their members to experiment with unusual diets and sexual activities, which they both claimed would allow them to shed their earthly selves. Some, including Herf, were later chemically castrated. So, as I said, I don't know if there's too much more sex in Herf's life. Holy shit. Dude, that's actually dope. Imagine selling to a group of people that, yeah, no, we're we're going homeless. (laughs) We're going to do it. Panhandling. It's going to be sick. We're just going to live in tents. and That's what you've been trying to convince us to do. Uh, That's actually true, <laughs> that is. <laughs> <laughs> 
All of them wore baggy clothes and cut off their hair, something that the leaders claimed would conceal their gender and sexuality, but served only to eradicate their individuality, which in turn made them more susceptible and vulnerable to the teachings that Herf and Bonnie spouted. So here's where we get, you know, they're taking away their possessions, their Their identity, identity, and they're all just followers of Herf and Bonnie. They might just be trendsetters though, right? Baggy clothes, like yeah, shaved they're just, head. They're, <laughs> it's like a con. It's like a Kanye thing. Yeah, they're Kanye. Yeah. The world picks up. I'm on getting it, some so. real Kanye vibes, actually. <laughs> Calling out Kanye and Drake this episode. Please tweet at us. <laughs> the message that Herf and Bonnie endlessly preached may seem strange and batshit crazy to us. However, America at this time was going through its hippie movement, which was marked by an astrological number of young adults seeking meaning and purpose in their life. I mean, I think that's every decade. There's always young people looking for meaning. Yeah, so it, it's likely these guys were dabbling. In, yeah, I think there's like, a lot of psychedelics. Like some acid, maybe. Oh, yeah, for sure. Some shrooms, because that would actually make a lot of sense, right? Yeah. They also couldn't get in trouble for it because they're allowed. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. Everyone was allowed in the 70s, bro. It, no, 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 but that. they were even above that. Sam. That's true. That's God true. wanted them to do drugs. But they don't even have cars anymore, man. They're just on the street. But they can just borrow one if they want. Yeah, they don't have to give it back if they don't want it. <laughs> they don't want cars. Not they don't have cars. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. That's true. Most of these young adults had been born at a time when Christian values characterized the United States, the words under God in the Pledge of Allegiance, as well as the phrase in God we trust on the back of the dollar bill were both introduced in the 1950s during President Eisenhower's administration. It was only in that decade that America became one nation under God a movement that had been spurred by the religious fervor that spread throughout the country. In fact, according to the University of Southern Carolina News, a typical Sunday morning from the years 1955 to 1958 saw nearly half of the nation in church dressed in their finest clothes, hearing mass was a social event, and being absent from the pews was a cause for nasty gossip. But this all changed in the next few decades, thanks to the wars in Korea and Vietnam. Boom. Thanks, Told wars. You. Told Vietnam. you that was we coming. Knew, we knew it was coming. <laughs> so you thought I didn't know about this. I knew you knew about these, but it was a little early. You were just a couple decades early. Well, it didn't get interesting until... Until the wars? Yeah. Yeah. Growing public distrust in the United States government and the threat of complete annihilation from nuclear weapons, which drastically shift uh, young adults' feelings towards the United States. Confused and untethered, they latched onto movements that gave them a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose and order amid an increasingly chaotic world. A lot of them found truth in what Herf and Bonnie were saying, more truth than what they encountered in the rigid structure of Christianity. Because of this, membership in him, or Heaven's Gate, as it was later referred to, grew exponentially. So these people are saying that this alien cult is more truth than Christianity. Yeah, they're definitely all doing acid, bro. Like These guys are like, <laughs> Oh shit, no, UFO? Yeah, no, that makes way more sense than what I've been hearing. <laughs> Called being trendy. About this God guy. <laughs> I, I don't know. You could maybe argue that it is more believable, I guess, in some minds. Sci- science fiction is also probably booming at this time, I'm assuming, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't know about the genre that much, but I feel like it's, I feel like aliens have got to be kind of a hot topic around the 70s. I brought you on to be my English major expert. Yeah, <laughs> no, uh, science fiction is science fiction is booming, <laughs> booming in the 70s. That's it. So. Just take hot takes. That's all we need on here. Yeah, I'll just make stuff up. <laughs> Perfect. In the 1980s, the organization became sick of their nomadic ways and sought to establish a more permanent base. They rented houses across several states, most notably in the Dallas area. 
They even started on working in the real world, although they used fake names, limited their contact with those not from the group, and continued to abide by the rules that Herf and Bonnie laid down. How are they how are they renting these houses, man? All that panhandling money really backing up? Well, they, they don't also have to pay for the houses. Oh, true, true, true. They don't <laughs> have to. Yeah, they just pay first months and then they just don't pay again after that. <laughs> but no, they gave they people that joining the cult are giving up their worldly possessions and yeah, and yeah, they're panhandling. So but but now they're getting real jobs, so Yeah, that too. So they're making a little bit more money now. Ironically enough, the pair relaxed their control over their followers once they moved into permanent housing. By then, there were approximately 80 members of in the Heaven's Gate, all of whom adhered to whatever it was that Herf and Bonnie demanded of them. For instance, they were once instructed to wait outside all night to wait a visit from their extraterrestrial overlords. Afterwards, they were informed that it was a mere test to see whether or not they were loyal enough to follow what they were told to do, even when it meant having to stay outdoors in freezing temperatures. Herf used his charisma to control the members of Heaven's Gate, often withholding his approval and praise for their actions. However, this only made them even more desperate to gain it. They held Herf's approval in high regards, perceiving it only second to the demonstration, which is the, you know, the rapture, basically. Right on. Despite all these brainwashing techniques, the members were finally allowed to visit their families and relatives on Mother's Day. Wow, in 1983. Albeit under instructions to inform them that they were studying and working with computers at a monastery. Herf and Bonnie's relinquishment of their control served another purpose, though, The visit that their followers paid to their families placated their loved ones, most of whom believed that they were being held against their will. So it kind of was like, no, we're fine, you know. We just have important jobs. I'm just castrated now and have no hair. They let us go today. (laughs) It's Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day, obviously. (laughs) All the the cults get it off. (laughs) That is a known cult holiday, actually. (laughs) In Dallas, Heaven's Gate fell into an easy rhythm. They no longer had to move from place to place, nor did they have to beg for money. They were finally the picture of stability, with permanent housing and a source of income. However, tragedy would soon befall them. In 1983, Bonnie was informed that the cancer she had been previously diagnosed with had spread all over her body, but the doctor's warning fell on deaf ears. Bonnie, along with Herf, believed that she was incapable of dying. After all, as the two witnesses, they would be ascending to heaven together. Therefore, she claimed that no disease, not even cancer, could stop the will of the divine. And I like that optimism, you know? I mean, it... It is optimism. <laughs> no, that's pretty great, though, to just be like, no. I'm not going to die. I'm, me? Yeah. I'm not going to die. Okay. But the disease continued to worsen. Bonnie agreed to have her eyes surgically removed in an effort to stem its further spread, but it was too late. She spent her final days at the Parkland Memorial Hospital in Dallas under a pseudonym Shelley West. So she was getting worried. I mean, yeah, to, go, to go from saying she can't die. Yeah. Being like, no, I'll take out the eye, though, because I want to. Not, yeah. not because I'm gonna, not because I'm worried about dying. I just, I want, hate my left I eye. Want it, I want it gone. Yeah, she didn't truly believe. No, no. and that was, I think, the issue. No, <laughs> don't. I'm not. <laughs> that's that's why she died. <laughs> no. Two years later, either on June 18th or June 19th, 1985, she passed away. Wait, she had her eye removed. Yeah, and then lived two more years, give or take. Yeah, I think it, I think it was somewhere between those two years. She had her eye taken out. Obviously. It wasn't afterwards <laughs> or before they were diagnosed. <laughs> that was a dumb sentence, but. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, her death sent Herf into another downward spiral. He lost his, sec- oh, I almost said sexual partner, but we know that's not true. His spiritual partner, his mystic. But after a few years, he once again regained his zeal for Heaven's Gate and his mission. So he's back, baby. This time, 
He sought to preach in a way that was more in line with the changing times. And that meant going online, as Greg said. On the line. Not quite Twitter, but, you know. The interweb. The interwebs. In the late 1990s, Heaven's Gate began aggressively pushing out a series of videos entitled Beyond Human, The Last Call, which featured information about their group, their beliefs, and Herf's mission. They also took out a slew of advertisements. One of the more notorious ones was in a 1993 issue of US Today, wherein they emblazoned an image with a headline that read, UFO cult resurfaces with final offer. They also began publishing Herf's teaching on the internet and had a series of public lectures in 1994. While criticism was rampant, these efforts were successful in increasing the organization's membership. Heaven's Gate had faded into obscurity in the aftermath of Bonnie's death, but now they were back with a vengeance. However, their biggest stunt was yet to come. (laughs) Drumroll, please. In 1995, the world was sent into a frenzy with the discovery of Al Bop Comet, which was largely considered to be one of the decade's highlights. It was a phenomenon widely observed across the entire country, but while many considered it to be a beautiful natural wonder, Herf and Heaven's Gate perceived it as a sign that the demonstration was about to happen. Herf's like Herf's pretty old at this point. Did you say 95? Yeah. And and he's been doing this for like a long time. Right? Because I mean Yeah, yeah, he and he was born in 1931. But I mean like Heaven's Gate's been running for like how like what 20 years at least now? Uh oh yeah, more than that. It's no, it started in the early 70s, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be like it'd be like mid 20. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Had some highs and lows though. Yeah, they went homeless, they went back to living in homes. One of their leaders died. Yeah, they kind of called it off for a couple of years here and there. Yeah. So with the comet, Herf told the members of Heaven's Gate that the trailing comet was a spaceship and that aboard this vessel was Bonnie, ready to take them with her to the next level. He also explained that governments across the globe were conspiring with each other to suppress information, which is why it was their mission to expose the truth to the world in order to bring more people with them. So it's sounding like a lot of conspiracy theories. The government's holding everything against us. We got to prove them wrong. Woke. Woke. Oh, here you go, Greg. By then... The organization was renting a mansion in a neighborhood in Rancho Santa Fe, California. So they're making it big. What does that have to do with the seagull, man? Oh, I meant just the rich. You asked if they got rich. I think they got pretty well off. Yeah, is is there 80 rich. people living in one mansion? Because not great. Still sick, dude. That's <laughs> dope. Yeah, I'd share a mansion with 80 people as long as we we're all not having sex with each other. What? They're definitely not having sex with each other. <laughs> what if there's like 15 rooms? Yeah, as long as we're all not having sex, then I'm, I'm in. There's <laughs> 80 people in this house. It's a mansion. No touching. Sexless mansion. <laughs> it's the opposite of a Playboy mansion. <laughs> the dream, Greg. Okay, okay. You could probably do it. Honestly, try and pull it off. So you're in? No. Yeah, Greg wants the sex, okay? I'm, I'm over one. <laughs> I love the sex. I don't want to live with 80, 79 roommates. You don't get it. You're never going to make it. On <laughs> you don't cult. get the dream. Man. I will, dude. Just wait. Yeah. What do you, What happens if the cult starts moving around a lot? You going to go with them? Uh, yeah. Okay. He won't even live in a mansion with 70 people. <laughs> Listen, man. He wants the sex, though. <laughs> Not you won't even give up sex. <laughs> you just want to do it because that's your comfortable living situation. Okay? <laughs> I'm doing it for research. <laughs> Over the next few months, they published a series of videos that encouraged viewers to leave with them in the approaching demonstration, claiming that this would be their final opportunity to evacuate Earth before it is recycled. 
They were thinking environmentally friendly. What was their definition of recycled? Yeah, they don't think it's going to be destroyed. They think it's going to be used again. <laughs> Someone will use it. <laughs> I don't, I have no idea. It's maybe just a less harsh term of saying it's going to be destroyed. I don't know. They're kind of just woke with their terminology. I mean, like the next level. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. like prestige mode. Prestige, that'd be sick. <laughs> yeah, we're going to prestige mode. Brings you back to we're level one. We're entering prestige. <laughs> It's just like resurrection. You just come back as a baby. Yeah, that's sick. <laughs> no, no. They just blow all their money and start again. Oh, gotcha. So they get to level 50 again and then do it over and they over. They max out. Yeah. What happens when they max out? They're just God? Well, they get an extra create a class, so there's more storage. <laughs> <laughs> they build like two new houses every time. <laughs> the Hal Bop comment, which was at the time also being referred to as the Great Comet of 1997, it was projected to pass... On April 1st of that year, as millions across the world polished the lenses of their telescopes and binoculars, Herf and Heaven's Gate began to prepare to exit from the world. They started by recording farewell statements, which were meant to be sent to their families upon their departure. Many of the members heaped praises upon Herf in their statements. However, experts would later describe these recordings as a mere regurgitation of the teachings that they had been fed. On March 21st, 1997, the members of Heaven's Gate ate a final supper at a restaurant where they all ordered the same thing. Turkey pot pie, cheesecake with blueberries, and iced tea. Bomb. I love that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's awesome. probably my, my final supper. What restaurant? A restaurant. Nobu. <laughs> it's pretty sick. Chili's. <laughs> they probably got such a deal too by just all ordering the same thing. Yeah, could you imagine 80 people showing up to a restaurant? <laughs> it would take a while to see that. Yeah, them. I wonder how they had like, I wonder if there's any problems. Well, they probably pre-booked. Yeah, but yeah, they, you they know they didn't, they didn't tip because God told them they didn't have well, to. They didn't yeah, pay. They didn't pay yeah. <laughs> Why would they? Or I guess they probably could if they had any leftover cash. Yeah, they, don't, they won't need it where they're going. Yeah. Uh, unless the UFO costs money, I don't know. Man, imagine they use the same currency, but you didn't think they would, and you just blew all your money, and you get there, and you're just so poor. So, but they're like, yeah, it's $15. And you're like, no. U.S. dollar. No. <laughs> I shouldn't have had the extra cheesecake. On the outside, they seemed like your average run-of-the-mill group of friends on a fun night out in the town, albeit in strange clothing and exhibiting even stranger mannerisms. Bunch of virgins. So, so, wait, the first and second point there did not line up. Yeah, you know. <laughs> they look normal, but really, really weird and whack. Besides being 80 of them and <laughs> them dressing weird and definitely talking weird, they were normal. <laughs> <laughs> That's the stupidest point you've read yet. <laughs> we'll get through it, Okay. But the following day, the suicides began. Several of the organization's members ate either pudding or applesauce mixed with phenobarbituals before washing it down with vodka and putting bags over the head to induce asphyxiation. Within minutes, they were all dead. It's a tough way to go. Man. Is a tough, yeah, better than sucks. Kool-Aid. I'll give you that. Why did they do that? I don't think that is better than Kool-Aid. Maybe not. They make you do a shot of vodka after it. They're like, hey, you're already dying, dog, but... Well, and they hold the bag over their head to die. Yeah, and then they hold the bag. That's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, they're both terrible ways to die. <laughs> we'll go yeah, with that. Yeah. These first few individuals reportedly wore Nike shoes and black uniforms with patches that read Heaven's Gate Away Team. For reasons unknown, bags containing cash and forms of identification were placed beside their body. So what did the home team do? There was never a home team. I guess the home team would be Heaven's Gate, maybe, but they—they they, no one has any idea. So the home team is the aliens. That's what I assume. This There's is other, me personally. It's like Space Jam. 
Sam, yeah, exactly. They're the home. The aliens are the home team. So this is they're like the Looney Tunes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I guess yeah. they're the Looney Tunes. Oh, we gotta we gotta find out when that came out. Because if that came out like <laughs> right, right before, and they were like, "Damn, that's the aliens." I'm looking it up right. Yeah, that, look, look it that, up, Greg. That's the aliens. Let me know when uh, when uh, Space, Space Jam, Jam came out. Because when did I say this was? 1997, March 21st. And welcome to the jam. <laughs> uh, this is 1996. Crazy. Holy shit. You think they took ideas from Space Jam? They're like, finally, the aliens we've been talking about. <laughs> it's got to be, right? You got to wear the, 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 the Jordans. Yeah, November 15th, like, he, he's like, It all makes sense. I oh never realized they played basketball. They're basketball <laughs> aliens. <laughs> That's why they have the Nikes, the gear, the away team. Oh. Wow. You know what? That would be interesting. Like we said, we're just making shit up on here. and uh, I would never outright say it, but Sam claims that that is what it's for. <laughs> Space Jam 2 is coming out next year. Do you think we can get something started in time? The, yeah, there, there's a cult that's going to follow in their oh, footsteps. it's already started? Yeah, well, it have to be, right? Because that's 30 years before this. Uh, yeah, I don't want to join that one. I don't want to join. I, no, no, I'm no. too late to join anyway. You got to wait for Space Jam 3, baby. <laughs> well, it depends when it comes out. What if it's in like two years? Space Jam 3? I don't know. Maybe they want LeBron for a couple. <laughs> I actually probably don't want to be in a cult where everyone kills themselves. I just want to be in one where like someone gets super rich. Oh, I see. You just want to. So I just want to pay a bunch of money. You to just want to be a grifter then. No, I just want. <laughs> oh, you would love scoop. Jim Jones. The ultimate grifter. Grifter is a strong word. It's, that, it's got that guttural grift. Hypocrite. Yeah. Bro, imagine this guy saying grifter. Oh, Ooh. God. I'd kill myself. <laughs> Uh, this guy just gets on a podium and just says words that sound cool in his great voice. I'd listen to that podcast. We don't even know how good the voice is. You can listen to it online. Oh, videos. Shit. Is it good? <laughs> you want me to play one right now? Yeah. No. Yeah, I don't care. No. Like in the in the edit, I'll play it. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Okay, so we'll just pause. You, you we'll pause for five seconds and then we'll react. Okay. Oh, shit. Damn. Oh, Damn. man. Oh, whoa. And you're telling me all those people weren't having sex? I'm I'm putting the edit here now. Astrum <laughs> are, in old language, a couple thousand years ago, disciples. Those who are trying to prepare themselves for entry into the evolutionary level above human, synonymous with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We're going to talk to you about the most urgent thing that is on our mind and what we suspect is the most urgent thing on the minds of those who will connect with us. We'll title this tape, Planet Earth About to be Recycled. Your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us. Over the following two days, the rest of the members would follow. Herf was among the last four people to commit suicide, helped by his assistants who then killed themselves. And with that, Heaven's Gate had ascended, but probably not in the way that they had hoped. It continues. Nearly a week later, on March 26th, their bodies were discovered by local authorities who received an anonymous tip that spurred them to check on the mansion and its inhabitants. In total, they found 39 bodies inside, the largest mass suicide involving American citizens since the infamous Jonestown Massacre in 1978. Boom. Boom. Connections. I'm making them. I won't have any more after that. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the bodies were discovered lying on mattresses on the floor. 
covered in purple shrouds. However, Herf was found seated on the bed inside the master's bedroom. Later, medical examiners determined that he suffered from a coronary arthrosclerosis, a debilitating disease caused by plaque buildup inside the arteries, causing it to severely narrow. Naturally, the news horrified the nation, most of whom were still reeling from the shock of the Jonestown Massacre. Photos of the mansion circulated. It spread exacerbated by the rise of the internet. People tweeting it out. <laughs> 1997. <laughs> More importantly, news programs aired the endless loop of Herf's final statements, a video that showed him wild-eyed and rambling about the need for him and his followers to cross Heaven's Gate, which he claimed would open when Hal Bop comment came. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. So... <laughs> Haley's comment? No, no, it's not Haley's comment. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, this left the world with more questions than answers. Today, the gospel of Marshall Herf, Applewhite, and Bonnie Nettles comes across as insane and downright lunacy. Many continue to question how their mythology that combined extraterrestrials and the Book of Revelations managed to attract more than 100 followers. At its peak, Heaven's Gate had about 200 members, all of whom readily believed in the lies that their leader fed them. Countless studies have been done on Heaven's Gate, perhaps because of how utterly crazy its claims have been. With the People's Temple and the Jonestown Massacre, the message that Jim Jones spread was at least, quote-unquote, logical, if not believable. But with Hearth and Bonnie, it was pure madness. According to some experts, the sinister success of Heaven's Gate was due to the cultures of isolation and religious obedience that the two witnesses managed to cultivate. All of their followers had made a long-term commitment to them, promising to follow them to the worlds beyond Earth. After losing Bonnie to cancer, they were unprepared for the prospect of life without Herf, which is why they chose to kill themselves instead. This line of argument is given credence by the fact that the majority of those who lost their lives in 1997 had been in the organization for more than two decades. But still, other theories have been put forward over the years. For instance, in a 2000 study of the apocalyptic movement, John R. Hall postulated that members of Heaven's Gate killed themselves in the belief that this demonstrated the total absence of fear of their death. For them, it signifies their complete belief in Herf and Bonnie and their teachings. Little column A, little column B, probably. And on the other hand, and this comes back to Herf's sexuality, the gay rights activist and founder of the Metropolitan Community Church, Troy Perry Jr., argued that it was Herf's struggle with his sexuality that his eventual repression of it were the reasons behind his suicide. However, this theory is largely rejected among most academics, but I can also, I can see where he's coming from. Like, none of this would have probably started if Herf was just accepted as he was. Definitely wouldn't have been as isolated, for sure. But perhaps it's one of Herf's former disciples, Bebe Koch. That's a sick name. Bebe Koch. <laughs> Strong name, maybe the strongest name. That could be an easy rap name right now. (laughs) (laughs) But perhaps it's one of Herf's former disciples, Bebe Koch, who should have the most say on the matter. Quote, I don't think he needed to have a following. I think he was the kind of person that truly believed and had a lot of charisma. And so other people followed him. Unquote. Regardless of whatever motivation Herf and Bonnie may have had, nothing changes the fact that their preachings led to the tragic and unnecessary death of 38 individuals. They died in the pursuit of a heaven located in outer space, obeying the commands of two people who believed themselves to be something that they were not. End of Heaven's Gate. Oh yeah, we gotta, we gotta learn about Jason. Siegel. <laughs> <laughs> or Joseph, I forget his name. His name's Siegel. Okay. After getting divorced from Bonnie... 
he still kept in touch with her. And this is, by the way, off, like off the record. I mean, don't don't come at me with your real takes or anything. <laughs> don't come back with me facts. <laughs> it's, just, it's just my <laughs> recollection, you know, my understanding of the situation. You know, like he kept in touch with Bonnie. You know, they've wrote letters because she wasn't fulfilled in some ways by her, <laughs> her relationship with Hef. So they kept in touch over the years and he actually became really engaged in the cult because obviously that was a big part of her life. So that was imposed on him. And then Siegel, you know, never signed up, but you know, he's aware of it. He followed it. He didn't look down on it. Once she died though, he was a big against the cult. You know, he was trying to expose them, trying to get rid of them. Couldn't do it though. Cause he didn't have the power of the internet and a great graphic designer. Like, <laughs> like Kevin Gate did. Yeah. He yeah, was very unsuccessful, knew what was coming, went to the mansion. He was just too late. So he anonymously called authorities and that was that. But oh, he, was, uh, wow. yeah, he was a couple of days too late. I've, uh, I've, <laughs> actually, I've actually got some interesting facts about Heaven's Gate that are probably more factual than that one. Oh, Wait, do you? Okay. What, how yeah. do you know it's not facts? I don't know, but you just, you really like... At the start, we put out a lot of uh, precursors, disclaimers. Like, hey, well, this not- might not be true. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so I actually have some some facts about Heaven's Gate, and and again, I don't know how right this is, but this is stuff that I've heard in a different podcast, actually. Oh, oh a better one. Oh, damn it! So not don't a shout be- them not out. Not a better one. Not a cult. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure, dude. I'm pretty sure it was on like H three H 3s podcast. Like oh, way random. back. Yeah, um, like way back. But so basically. Heaven's Gate. So the shoes that they wore, right, were were all like matching and the exact same model. It like had came out recently, and that shoe has like transcended into pop culture. And that shoe's like super expensive to buy now. Like you can find it online online for like thousands of dollars, oh. like eight hundred thousand dollars. That model of Nike because of this incident. Because of this incident, and Wild. it just wasn't like a popular shoe outside of that. So I don't think I think it's like a retro shoe, and it never got remade. What shoe? I don't know. You'd have to look up the model there. I just know I'm pretty sure they were white with like a black swoosh, like, but you'd have to look up the model. Interesting. Also. So their website is still up heaven's gate oh, yeah. and uh, it's still maintained by a group, a small group of people. And um, doesn't they, surprise me. <laughs> they have an email. And so basically one of the guys from H3H3 started emailing this email. Okay. And uh, he asked them like a bunch of questions and it's like, it's really interesting. It's like really weird. And basically the people who still run the website claim that they're like part of the cult. Right. There's like two or three of them left and they were specifically their roles was to stay alive and to continue sharing the message and sharing the story. Wild. So, so they're, yeah. So they're claiming to actually be from the cult to have been there that day. So like, imagine like everyone's supposed (laughs) to be killing themselves to go to heaven or whatever side you want to believe. Yeah. And then he's just like, but you guys, yeah. eh." You're going to stay here. You guys are going to embarrass me on the alien ship. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, yeah. So apparently two of them are still alive. They run the website. So, well, it does, it does mention like there were more than the 39 that died mm-hmm. and, and it did, I did talk about how like the, most of the people that did kill themselves were only the ones that were there for, yeah, the two decades or so. Okay. And that, and they were probably brainwashed enough or trusted enough maybe yeah. that they were, they were trusted on going on this voyage, I guess you'd call it. So they could be part of the probably 50% that didn't go approximately. And probably the youngest ones I would assume would maybe have been chosen to, uh, to continue to To share the message. But, um, and another thing is, uh, some of their graphics and, and images have really like 
propelled themselves into current pop culture and even yeah. like a few rap artists i know have used some of their stuff on album covers yeah and i actually think there's been a lawsuit like i'm pretty oh, sure really? heaven's gate has filed a lawsuit or against little uzi i think it was little <laughs> uzi and they requested that he he change a single cover that had one of their graphics on it I wild believe. yeah because yeah. their their logo is it's very um 70s i'll say that yeah it's it's got like the it's got like heavens like yeah. is, the, is the word across and then gate goes through the a in heaven okay and then it's got like a, it looks gates like shaped like a keyhole yeah that's it that's yeah, I'm yeah, pretty yeah, sure yeah that's yeah. the one that little uzi used and then it's looking over the earth it's very interesting but but anyways that's all the uh um, is maybe, that the graphic design you're thinking of? yeah that's all the maybe <laughs> facts maybe not facts that i have for you yeah no that's interesting I, uh, maybe i'll maybe i'll reach out to the heavens gate people see if i can get them on yeah that'd be interesting that'd be kind of cool because like I said, I remember when I watched this, he went through like all of the emails and like, right. they're definitely weirdos. Whoever's responding to him. Like, well, they're not going to, they're not going to come on my podcast now that I called them. You called them they're weirdos. They're definitely really cool, <laughs> really cool, super um, down to earth people. Oh, do you think like. their next ascension is after Space Jam 2? Yeah. Maybe they have a new team for that. <laughs> the, yeah. The new away team. Yeah. I wonder what, what shoes do you think they'll get? It seems like from a brief look online, they just bought budgeted new Nike shoes that they somewhat liked the look of. So it wasn't like a fashion statement by any means. Right. There's definitely a specific model though. You couldn't find it. Yeah. They just said it like it was discontinued. I, I yeah. don't know. It was some new release and then they never got released yeah. again. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's, that's heaven's gate. I appreciate the facts from Sam. You're welcome. I appreciate the maybe facts about Joseph Siegel. We'll just call him Siegel from now on from Greg and I appreciate you two coming back on the podcast, you know, hopefully we can get Greg into a cult and then have him back to report on the inner workings of a cult. Yeah. Let me know. Keep me updated. We'll do. And then, uh, Sam, you know, get me in touch with the heaven's gate people. Sounds like you have an in. So yeah, maybe I'll look into it. Maybe I'll start shoot them some emails. We need to start a website. That's just like stop space jam too. <laughs> yeah. I like it. But, uh, thanks for coming on guys. I appreciate it. Hopefully we'll have you on again. Please listen to Greg's podcast, A Couple Bots. Uh, they talk about... We talk about gaming. Yeah, we're, we're like the gaming podcast for aren't nerds about gaming. <laughs> <laughs> the, the biggest gaming podcast for people who aren't nerds. What a niche. <laughs> for, for, for people who aren't losers. Yeah, we're not giving you the analytical facts about the COD map 5 S&D. Right. I don't we're think you know anything talking about... Talk. <laughs> we're just, you know, chilling. And listen to Sam Wood. Right here. Right now. Right here, right now. And next time I'm on this podcast. Yeah. Maybe. He's a unofficial second host, as I said at the beginning of the episode. So he can't leave. (laughs) But uh, yeah, thanks for coming out, guys. Talk soon. Peace. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing Leg Day. And if you go to audibletrial.com cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and, best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link, audibletrial.com cultivate. That's C-U-L-T-I-V 
the number eight, to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you, Audible, for supporting the show.